The Iowa caucuses are just a little more than four months away. We'll talk about the preparations and the candidates with Republican Party of Iowa Chairman Jeff Kaufman and Republican National Committee man Steve Scheffler on this edition of Iowa Press. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation, the Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite was founded 30 years ago in Dubuque and owned by 1,200 Iowans from more than 45 counties. With resorts in Riverside, Davenport, and Larchwood, Iowa, Elite is committed to the communities we serve. Across Iowa, hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com. For decades, Iowa Press has brought you political leaders and newsmakers from across Iowa and beyond, celebrating 50 years of broadcast excellence on statewide Iowa PBS. This is the Friday, September 8th edition of Iowa Press. Here is Kay Henderson. Our guests today are key decision makers when it comes to Iowa Republican Party business. Jeff Kaufman is the chairman of the Republican Party of Iowa. Steve Scheffler is the Republican National Committee man from Iowa. He is also the president of the Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition. Gentlemen, welcome back to Iowa Press. Great to be here as always. Thanks. Also joining our conversation are Stephen Gruber-Miller of the Des Moines Register and Aaron Murphy of the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. Chairman Kaufman, uh, the Republican Party of Iowa has set January 15th as the date uh, for the 2024 presidential precinct caucuses. How etched in stone is January 15th? <laughs> From our perspective, it's etched in stone. Uh, I have uh, reported this to the RNC. We are moving ahead as if that is going to be the date. We're hoping that the other carve-outs, specifically New Hampshire, will respect that and respect that the Iowa Republicans have held their end of the bargain and all of our preparations have January 15th on it. Do you have to prepare for the other possibilities? You mentioned the carve-out states and New Hampshire specifically. You know, until October 1st, Aaron, that, that's when everything is due uh, for the Republican Party. Anything can happen. You can never say never. Uh, so certainly there are thoughts in my mind just in case, but right now January 15th looks very likely. And Steve Scheffler, you're in uh, the RNC meetings as well. What's your read of what's happening in some of those other carve-out states and how fluid this situation is or is not? Oh, I agree with Jeff. I think it's pretty well set in stone, and I think that uh, in the end New Hampshire will do the right thing and go after us. So I feel pretty confident. I think that's what the RNC members expect and want too. Jeff, uh, New Hampshire Governor Sununu was in Iowa not long ago at the Republican Party of Iowa event. Did he say anything enlightening to you uh, in, on that day? We actually had a nice visit on the first floor down there, just the two of us. And, you know, I, I told him, I said, I've, I've got some inherent problems with some of the messages I'm hearing out of New Hampshire that somehow if Iowa Democrats here uh, turn something into a primary, that somehow we're held responsible for that. I said, the Iowa Democrats 
If they turn that into a primary, we should not. Iowa Republicans should not be held responsible for that. And we and now there is a new law that defines what a caucus is. It was very, uh, very clear to me that he agreed with me. It was also clear to me that he was going to be having some conversations, especially with the new Secretary of State, who may be a little over rambunctious, and, in my and, opinion. And the challenge there being right that New Hampshire has said that they want to go on the same day. So if the New Hampshire Democrats feel like they have to move in front of Iowa, they could potentially bring the Republicans with them, and that's the concern, right? That's correct, Aaron, and we've talked about this many times on this show. We cannot have a primary in Iowa. It's a half-century agreement, and that's why the Republicans wouldn't even entertain the idea. So you brought up the new law, which was, uh, the, the passage was led by your son, a state legislator, uh, who also works for the Trump campaign this year. One of the aspects of that law is that uh, the political parties have the ability to set a date in advance to require people to be registered as Republicans to participate. Traditionally, you've been able to go and register on the day of the caucus. Is that date gonna change for Republicans? Uh, we don't know. Uh, I can tell you that it is very, very clear in our RPI constitution that same-day registration uh, is, is something that we shall allow. Uh, that's been the case since 1992. So this is a situation where it's a constitutional issue, a very clear constitutional issue for the Republican Party of Iowa. Uh, what the legislature did uh, for us is essentially, if we have wiggle room, if we have decision-making that can occur, uh, then w the, the decision-making comes from the Republican Party of Iowa, not from the state, as opposed to the definition of a caucus, which is now in state code. So, you know, we're, we're having conversations, but that's a, that's a big hurdle. Look, Republicans are constitutional conservatives. We cannot blow off, nor can we ignore, nor can we really wink and nod when something is in our Constitution. We're having a lot of conversations about a lot of ways that we can prevent, and essentially what we're talking about here is, uh, is uh, some, some disaffected Republicans and Democrats from flooding our caucuses and, uh, and, and giving us results that aren't indicative of a Republican caucus. Steve Scheffler, what are some of those conversations like as you decide whether or not to set a deadline in advance for people to register? You know, obviously, people who are not affiliated with the Republican Party currently, they're no party voters, they could be brought into the process by a candidate, but an earlier deadline can make it harder to participate. That might help Donald Trump, it might hurt some other candidates. What are, what are the concerns that are, that are raised? I haven't heard a lot of those yet. I mean, I think people don't think about these things maybe until we get real close. Now, again, I would defer to Jeff that we're still, uh, you know, the Constitution is clear of what we have to do, allow and everything, you know. And Steve, if I could add to that, a lot of our a lot of our campaigns, a lot of our candidates have already started preparation for same-day voter registration. And actually, there's a there's a probably a more compelling argument that changing it would actually hurt uh, the the Trump campaign, which is why it was ridiculous to somehow indicate that the that the legislature was doing something for Donald Trump. There would be pushback from a lot of our candidates. There would be pushback from some of our grassroots activists. It, as you indicated in your question, it's a little bit of a two-edged sword. There are people on each side of it. We just have to make very sure we're following our Constitution, and we have to make sure that the other 160-plus uh, voters in the RNC know that we're not changing rules at the last minute and understand that our, our candidates have to be satisfied that Iowa is treating them in a neutral and objective fashion. So it's a multi-layered perception kind of situation as well. 
Steve Scheffler, you, you've worked on a presidential campaign. How important is having that ability to register people on the day of the caucuses to a presidential campaign? I think it's probably helpful, but if the campaigns are doing their job and their work, you know, they've identified these people in advance. You know, you got staffers who their job is to get people committed and then to actually turn them out. And so I think that most of them understand that 95% of that work has to be done in advance and not to count on those late registration or people to come in and, and help their candidate. Let us talk about perhaps the reporting of the 2024 Iowa caucuses. Do you have an agreement for the software that will be used the, to have those results posted electronically? We are in conversations uh, with various entities at that point. I'm uh, at this point. I am not trying to be intentionally coy with you. Uh, we will, uh, I, I'm, I'm actually quite anxious to share uh, the fruition of some of our conversations and I'll do that probably as we did uh, four, or I guess it would be eight years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I will do that in a press conference. In fact, uh, whatever we do, I can promise you this. It will be transparent and media and the rest of Iowans are going to be able to see the results very, very quickly, almost in real time. And then, of course, we have to have a situation where everything can be audited very quickly. We do not want delays, and, uh, and we want to be as quick and accurate as possible. So, yes, we are very, very active in that pursuit right now, Kay. Steve Scheffler, uh, you've been a member of the Republican Party of Iowa Central Committee for quite some time. Um, the 2020, uh, the 2012, rather, caucuses had a, a different result on caucus night and then after this audit. Um, what concerns are being raised on the committee among decision makers about ensuring that the results match? Well, I think our track record in 16 and 20 was very, very good. So I don't hear those concerns at all among RNC members, whether it's going to be transparency. And I think they're expecting, and it will be that it will be, it'll be, it'll be done to perfection. So I don't hear any of those concerns at all that we might botch things up at all. Let's talk about the field. There are several candidates. I'm not going to say how many running. When I, uh, when an Iowan goes to a caucus, will they get a piece of paper that lists the names? Will there be sort of an unofficial ballot, or will people just write a name on a piece of paper and submit it as their vote in the caucus? Uh, part of that that decision has not been made, uh, and all we can do is suggest. Uh, to the counties what they do, but we try to certainly have something standard in terms of how that's reported. Um, in 16, I believe we did have a ballot. There were 17 individuals. Right now, I can think probably an argument for 13 individuals that would be viable and that should be placed there. Um, I, I think anything to make it efficient and I would much rather, much rather have the time spent debating back and forth. After all, that's why we have a caucus in terms of advocating for their candidate rather than repeating for the third time in a row. Now, what choices do we have again? So and I, did they spell the name correctly? Absolutely. We have to, we, we would have to, believe me, every one of the campaigns, there's 13 of them, we'd have to run everything through. We are meticulously neutral and will continue to be in terms of what we do on caucus night. I'm going to circle back to something you touched on earlier and in, in uh, your concern about disaffected Republicans, I think was your phrase, and, and maybe Democrats wanting to participate in the Republican caucuses as a way to put their thumb on the scale, so to speak. Do you have any, I, I feel like that's something that kind of comes up from time to time in previous cycles, and I don't know that we've ever determined that that actually happened in any great degree. Is there 
Any evidence? Is there any reason for heightened concern this cycle? Um, yes and no. For, let me clarify. The, the disaffected uh, Republicans, what I'm talking about is groups coming in that would specifically try to advocate for either voting for a particular candidate or voting against a particular candidate that is not associated with the campaign. So I, I, that, that's what I meant about that in that particular case. We have seen some speculation, we've seen some, some back and forth about how to possibly game that system, but you're absolutely right, Aaron, that has come up in the past. We have seen nothing other than a fear, and remember, we have also a unique situation here, because if the Democrats indeed are going to continue to not allow their other two Democratic candidates to, to be a part of their, their caucus, we don't even know for sure what they're going to do yet. I don't know any more than anyone else knows at this point. You know, you could have a situation where you have Democrats with a lot of time on their hands on caucus night. I would hope, since they have done less than a stellar job with their own caucuses, I would hope they would not try to do something to harm ours. We've already got to have a more difficult time holding 2028 because of their decision-making to this point. Steve Shevely, you're plugged in. Have you heard anything? Do you, what's your level of concern about this type of activity happening in the Republican caucuses? Well, I feel confident, you know, that Jeff and the whole team, you know, and the staff are going to put together the thing in a very perfect manner, and so I don't have a lot of those concerns. I mean, yeah, naturally there is, you know, but that's a guessing game. But I feel pretty confident it's going to go off very well without a flaw, without a hiccup at all. So. And, Aaron, one thing would be interesting, I'm sure, to, to all of you, remember, it is illegal. It is in Iowa code that you cannot participate in two caucuses. So that is against the law. So if there is a situation where you would have Democrats attempting to do that, they would be breaking the law very clearly in code. And I wanted to ask you, Chairman Kaufman, um, your colleague on the Democratic side, Chairwoman Rita Hart, on this show uh, a couple weeks ago, said that the January 15th date was set uh, was sort of a surprise to them, was, was without their input. How, traditionally, we, you've talked about this before, that the, the, the two parties in Iowa, the one thing they do agree on is working together uh, on the caucuses. Has that not been the case as much lately? Are, are you, how much are you working with Democrats on this? Without giving away personal confidences of personal conversations I have had, I have given advice after advice after advice on how to hold the, uh, how to make sure that 2028 is going to occur and how to make sure that we thread this needle and honor one half century agreement with New Hampshire and others. My advice, I, I feel like I'm whistling in the wind to be quite frank. And so I have tried, I have gone to, uh, I, I have actually stated very clearly what I think should happen. This is the first time I've had this issue and I've been, the, I've been through, this is my third caucus, this is my sixth uh, uh, Democratic chair, and I'm just gonna leave it at that. I'm not gonna give away specific confidence. Is, is, are you running against the brick wall because of the state party or the national party, in, in your view? Um, I think the national party caused all of this. I think Joe Biden made it worse because he knew he couldn't win in Iowa, and unfortunately, I would not have made several of the decisions to react as the Iowa, uh, the Iowa Democrats have done. So the 2024 race, polling shows that Donald Trump is far and away the front runner here, even though you mentioned all these candidates we have. This is despite the fact that he's facing several different criminal indictments, right? 
this may end up hurting him with independent voters in the general election in 2024. What is the plan to deal with that, and is that a concern? Sure. The And, and I would say this uh, as a preface. Remember the job in the Iowa, and of course you all know this. I'm saying this mostly for all Iowans, and actually I said this to him blue in the face to some of my colleagues at the RNC. The job of Iowa is to test these candidates, is to ask these candidates. So even if we have somebody win the Iowa caucus by 20 points, if we've given the other 12 a fair hearing, we have done our job. In terms of your specific question uh, with uh, former President Trump, I handle these caucuses like I do a primary. I set the tone, make sure everybody has a, 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 a voice, everybody has a fair hearing. I think you could talk to any of the 13 candidates right now and they'd tell you that they feel the Republican Party of Iowa is strong. I have got to wait to see what the grassroots tell me. I cannot have the attitude that I know best what they should tell me, but I have to react to that. At that point, whoever our nominee is, whoever it is, out of the 13, or maybe someone else, I will be on their team. Steve Scheffler, we mentioned the indictments. There's personal behavior is frequently raised as a concern about Donald Trump, but we see evangelical voters, self-described evangelicals, continue to support him. Help us understand you know, what, what the appeal is from Donald Trump to those voters. I think by and large it's what he did, you know, in terms of uh, people that he put on the court, Supreme Court, appellate court, and district courts, uh, what he did in terms of moving the, the embassy from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv, a uh, whole wide range of things that conservative voters and evangelicals were wanting to see happen for years and years. And so please remember, these people are not monolithic. They don't think exactly alike on every single issue. Uh, but the bottom line is, you know, these people are looking for electing a leader. Uh, they're not looking for somebody they're going to elect as their pastor or their priest. So they want somebody that's going to push back against the radical agenda of the, of the Biden administration. So, uh, and again, I respect uh, those voters and what they, the decisions they make, you know, and I, you know, I view our organization as a matchmaker, not a kingmaker. We just want to match the candidates um, with those candidates and then let them make the decision from there. But they're looking for somebody to lead, push back against this radical agenda. There's other candidates who are trying to kind of claim that mantle, right, of, you know, touting their Christian faith, right, really emphasizing that. Is there room for them to break in with these uh, voters? Well, if you look at the eight and the 12 and the 16 caucuses, you know, those caucus winners were people that were not expected initially to win the caucuses. And so it's probably fair to say that Donald Trump has the inside track, but anything can happen. You know, it depends, you know, putting in the hard work is certainly... A big thing, you know, in terms of identifying your people and turning them out. So anything could happen at this point, I think, you know. Steve Scheffler, um, this summer, Donald Trump expressed frustration with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds for not endorsing him. Is that a smart move in a state where she is the most popular Republican? Let's put it this way. Governor Reynolds is the most popular Republican probably in Iowa statewide, and I respect her. I think she's done a great job. And so I'll let that conversation be between the two of them. But I think our governor's greatly respected and what she's done in terms of pushing legislation, anti-woke, the life issue, uh, you know, shrinking government. And so I think we got a great governor. I'll leave it at that. Jeff Kaufman, smooth move on Donald Trump's part? I would say for four years after 2016, people, Republicans love Donald Trump and Kim Reynolds. I would assume that people are going to continue to have that, that idea regardless if Donald, or if Donald Trump is our nominee. I, uh, if I started to second guess the campaign techniques of Donald Trump, 
I would be in big trouble in terms of my track record prediction. I can say this about Kim Reynolds, though. I would agree she is the most popular Republican in the state, and I see absolutely nothing that's going to detract from that. And, and speaking of that, she has, Governor Reynolds has left open the possibility of, of endorsing in this field. Um, just I, I wrote down a couple of things you said just earlier in this show. You, you want Iowa to, tr to be neutral and objective, give candidates a fair hearing. Do you have any concern that if a, the wildly popular uh, Republican governor of Iowa endorses a candidate, that that threatens that perceived objectivity and neutrality in the Iowa caucus and makes your job of keeping Iowa first any harder? Uh, sure, and, I, and, and when it's all said and done, I have control over the Republican Party of Iowa and myself, and I would not endorse. I can't, constitutionally. Right. In terms of Kim Reynolds, she has done her job in terms of where of what Iowa is supposed to do, and that is present these candidates. She made a conscious decision not to endorse, not to get involved right now. Everyone was invited to her uh, interviews at the state fair. I think she has set the tone that everybody is welcome here. That's going to ultimately have to be her decision. So you don't have any concern that an endorsement could change the way future candidates view campaigning in Iowa? I, I don't think so. I mean, we've had, we've had endorsements from high-profile Republicans in the past. I will say she is probably the only endorsement uh, of any Republican in this state that could possibly move a needle. She's that popular. Um, you know, I want to talk about an issue that's been in the news and, and in the campaign trail abortion uh, that Polling has shown, and, and it's a series of special elections around the country have shown, it's maybe not a winning issue for Republicans after Roe v. Wade was overturned last year. There have been some losses that have been associated with when the debate was really focused on abortion. Do Republicans need a different approach to this to avoid further losses in 2024? I think, you know, we, I'll, I'll answer that question by calling upon Governor Reynolds again. Before her re-election, she was crystal clear where she stood on the abortion issue. She was very straightforward, and she won overwhelmingly. So I, I think standing on the side of life is certainly going to be more popular, even with those that don't agree straight down the middle with some of the bills that were passed, is going to be inherently more Iowan and more mainstream than abortion on demand up to the point of birth, which I challenge any of you to find a mainstream Democrat or a national Democrat that will actually say, I do not believe in that. They'll say it doesn't happen very much. So if, if you've got a voter that doesn't agree necessarily with either position, I will guarantee you that they're going to move towards life more than they're going to move towards abortion on demand up to the point of birth. Steve Scheffler, do you have uh, additional thoughts on this, how Republicans should be talking about this issue? I totally agree with Jeff. You know, the candidates need to be on the offensive, not the defensive. And if you look at a bill that was uh, debated and voted on maybe a year ago, Joe Manchin was the only Democrat that voted against a bill that would have codified abortion through the moment of birth. Even Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski voted against that bill as a bridge too far. So when you frame it about what are the consequences of late-term abortions and all that, I think it's a winning issue that life is precious and to be protected. We have about three minutes left. Both of you are Republicans of long standing in Iowa. I would guess that candidates or prospective candidates call you. Steve Scheffler, what's your advice to them about running? I mean, we have a huge field. Do you ever tell anybody they should think twice? I never tell them that because I'm not the one to judge uh, whether they should run or not. The one thing I do encourage them is that they've got to work their rear end off and they've got to engage voters and they've got to identify caucus scores. Because if you look at Marco Rubio when he ran, he was a great candidate, 
but he spent all of his time in metro areas and not a lot in rural areas. And so on caucus night, he did well in metro areas, but not so well in, in rural areas. So my advice is work your tail off in all parts of the state, identify people, get them on paper, turn them out, have a caucus representative on night to speak on your behalf of those few that may be wavering at the last minute. You said moments ago that maybe someone else will run. Has someone called you? No, actually, <laughs> no. But there, all, there could be someone at the last minute, Kay. And be genuine. Try to go. Not you. The candidates. <laughs> the candidates. You're always genuine, Kay. Uh, but the be, be genuine. Boldly state your position and take it to the people. You'll see at our Lincoln dinner, we erred on the side of allowing people to speak that may or may not have been viable. I think that's my job. So speaking of campaigning in Iowa, uh, it, there seems to have been a change, and, and Stephen's paper did some reporting on this uh, about the frequency of candidates coming here this cycle compared to previous, and, and maybe that being a product of the debate qualifying rules. With, with such large fields these last two cycles, there's been a priority and emphasis on qualifying for the debates, maybe at the detriment to being in Iowa. Jeff, do you have any concerns that that has that debate qualifying requirements have taken away from candidates being in pizza ranches in Iowa instead? I think it's a valid question to, to ask, and I, I appreciate the, the reports on that. At this point, I'm still sensing the frequency of visits is good enough for those candidates in terms of what they're trying to do. What I like about our debate qualifying is they're slowly ramping up the requirements for being a part of it. I, I, we had to do something. I mean, we had to do something. The two-debate format was not highlighting Republicans. And let's face it, we're heading up to a convention, which is a four-day commercial. I mean, that's what that is. And when we need to make sure that we are competing at that level of presenting these candidates, I don't think you can do that with two debates. So, yes, I think it's a valid question to ask and to attempt to answer. Right now, I'm, I'm more happy with what they've decided to do with the debates to address that other issue than I am somehow that we're, we're suffering from visits. Yeah, Steve Sebler, you have any quick thoughts on that? No, I think Jeff's exactly right, you know. I think uh, there has to be some level that when you get that far close to the caucuses and then the, the states that are after that, you know, the viability factor, you know. So I think at some point in time you have to weed it out. And I think those thresholds are low enough that it shouldn't be that difficult if you're gonna be viable for the long term. Speaking of point in time, gentlemen, we are out of time for this discussion. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks to all Good three. to be here. Thanks. You can watch every episode of Iowa Press at iowapbs.org. For everyone here at Iowa PBS, thanks for watching today. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite's 1,600 employees are our company's greatest asset. A family-run business, Elite supports volunteerism, encourages promotions from within, and shares profits with our employees. Across Iowa, hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com.